It seems amazing the year has gone and we're that far into it, but we are. Easter is coming quickly. Of course, Easter is the time where we celebrate the, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. In a lot of ways, I believe that Easter is the most important holiday there is. While Jesus' birth gets the lion's share of the attention, it is His death and resurrection that make His life so significant. Easter Sunday also presents one of the greatest opportunities for us to invite people to church. Studies show that people are more receptive to an invitation to church on Easter Sunday than on any other time of the year. Now, there are Christians who... Their job in life is to study culture. And they study culture with the purpose of helping us understand people. Help us understand unbelievers, uh, particularly. Because you may not realize it, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we think differently than unbelievers think. Right? If things uh, appeal to our mind in a different way, things appeal to our heart in a different way. And the longer we've been Christians... The less, we are, the less likely we are to really be able to understand how an unbeliever thinks. So there's a whole group of people, and this is what they do. One guy in particular, his name is Tom Rainer. Tom Rainer is head of the Lifeway Christian Bookstores, uh, and he used to do a, a whole bunch on trying to just... In, he talked to people who were unbelievers, and he talked to belie- people who had just recently been saved. And one time after talking to a whole group of people that had just recently been saved, he found out, he asked them questions to find out about their faith journey. How did they go from being unbelievers to believers? And as he did, he he categorized the receptivity of unbelievers to the gospel message. And there were five levels that he determined. Right, First is a U5. Now, U stands for unchurched. Obviously, he wasn't trying to be snazzy, but he is a the U5. These are the people that are, I guess you could say are the furthest from God. These are the people that are openly antagonistic toward religion in general, but specifically toward Christianity. And if you'll allow me to phrase it this way, these are the people we're afraid of. Right? And I don't mean afraid like we live in fear of them. But when you and I, when we begin to think about inviting someone to church or talking to them about Jesus, what are we most afraid of? Aren't we afraid that they're going to respond angrily? We're afraid that they're going to not like us anymore, that they're going to say, who do you think you are? Right. We think that's what the majority of the people are. Now, Scott, I've got a question for you. Percentage wise, what percentage do you think of America is a U5, that antagonistic towards Christianity? Five percent is exactly right. Think about that. That's a tiny number. Um, that's the smallest number on the scale. Right? These are people like your Bill Mars, your Richard Dawkins. These are, are, are rare, honestly. In, in the time I have really been committed to Jesus, I have probably shared the gospel thousands of times. I have knocked maybe hundreds of doors in Muskogee and Fort Gibson and Guyman. And in all the times I've shared the gospel, and all the doors I've knocked, I have only ever found one person who I would classify in this case. And it was because he was a Muslim and did not want to hear about Jesus Christ. Largely, you and I are not going to run into these people. They're, they're, they're there, and there's some, obviously. But as we go to invite people to church to talk to them about Jesus, 
these people are fewer and further between than what we would expect. Now, the next category, of course, is the U4. The U4s are people that are resistant to the gospel, but not necessarily antagonistic. Right? They, they see no need for it in their lives. They, they do not want it. They do not care that you have it. They don't care that you talk about it with others. But they do not see the need for it themselves. They are resistant to the idea that they need Jesus. Now, these make up about 21%, which is a larger number. But the, the U4s, while resistant, are still people that, that can and come to know Jesus Christ and may respond to an invitation. Then there's the U3s. Right? The U3 being right in the middle, they're just, they're just apathetic. They really don't care one way or the other. They're not resistant, or they're not um, antagonistic, they're not receptive. They just don't care. Right? I've got a good friend in Guyman that I've been trying to, to reach for years. And I have invited him to church and tried to talk to him about Jesus for probably eight or nine years. And he has never gotten mad. He has never moved closer. He just says he's, he thinks church maybe is a good thing, but he just doesn't see the need for it himself. Right? They're just completely apathetic. And this is the largest category of people. The vast majority of the people in our culture are just apathetic towards Jesus Christ. The U2s, not the group are people that are receptive to the gospel. Right? These are people that probably have realized something is missing in their lives. Possibly they've had some major upheaval in their lives. A death, loss of a job, a major transition. Perhaps they just feel like something is, is not as it should be, but they recognize something is missing, but they just don't know what it is. Right? And, and they are very open to somebody telling them, what it is that they're missing in their life. These make up 27%. That's a lot of folks. And then there's the U1s. The U1s are people that they really, they understand that something is missing. They probably believe that God is what is missing. And they likely believe that Jesus is part of what is missing. They, they understand the idea and the need for Jesus. The problem with the U1s, what keeps them from becoming believers is, they don't know how to get from where they are to faith in Jesus Christ. They don't know what steps to take, and they are, they are waiting for someone to come to them, tell them about Jesus Christ. In Tom Rainer's studies, he found... That the vast majority of them, like 97% of this group, they said if someone were to invite them to church, they would come. And they make up a small minority, about 11%. Now, everybody we know that doesn't come to church, they fall into one of these five categories. Everybody we know that's not active in church, they, they are one of those. Likely, they are U3s. That's the largest category. And when we look at it in this point, we see the low number of those who are receptive, the high number of those who are apathetic. It can seem like we have an overwhelming job. Because the reality is, God wants every one of them to be saved. Jesus died for the U5s and the U1s. Every one of them are people that Jesus wants to come to know Him. And our job, as believers in Jesus Christ, the, our job is to lead people to follow Jesus. I mean, that is the, the main 
purpose of the church. The, the main reason this, this group of people exist and the group of people down the road and those over there exist. It's not to build buildings. It's not to sing cool songs. It is to lead people to follow Jesus. We are to make disciples of all nations. And that can seem like an overwhelming task. Because if everyone was just ready and receptive, that would be great. But they're not. Despite the fact it can seem like an overwhelming task, today I want to explain to you why it's not. I want to explain to you why this is something that you and I, we can do in Guymon, Oklahoma. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, page 871 in your pew Bibles. This is our, our final message in the Sin City series. I, I skipped this passage so I could end it at this time. Go ahead and when you find that, I must you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. First Corinthians three and five says, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything, anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. The title of the message this morning is Working with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And we come this morning with a desire to to learn how to reach out to a lost and a dying world. To help them come to know Jesus Christ. Father, help us to have a burden for the lost in our community. Help us to have a burden for the lost that we see each and every day of our lives. Help us, Father, to have confidence in you, confidence in your word, confidence in your spirit to do what we cannot do. Today, as we look at this passage, open our hearts and minds that we would be receptive to it ourselves. That we would not only understand what it says, but we would take it and apply it to our lives. And we would begin to work with you. To reach out to the lost and dying world around us. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you remember, one of the issues in the church has been the, the division that was going on. The division focused a lot on the different preachers that they like. Paul takes them to task for this. In verses 5 through 9 where we're looking. And the overwhelming point that Paul is making is that Paul and Apollos really aren't competitors. That it's not, they're, they're not one and then the other. They're, they're actually on the same team. It's not team Paul and team Apollos. It is team Jesus. And everyone that has worked in Corinth has been on team Jesus and they were all working on the same job for the same thing to reach people that are far from God. And he makes a great statement in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. Right? Paul and Apollos 
are on team Jesus, and they are also, God is working with them, or they are working with God on team Jesus to reach people for Jesus. And so the, the truth, the central truth I want you to understand today is that we work with God when we reach out to those who are far from God. Right? This is why it's not overwhelming. If it was just me and you, and we had to do everything that needed to be done to reach a lost and a dying world for Jesus Christ, we would be in a bad way. Because you and I cannot do what needs to be done. We cannot do everything that there is. But it's our, we are working together with someone who can. We are working together with a God who is great and awesome, Moses said in Deuteronomy. We are working together with a God who tells his people when you see a conflict and you think that it's bigger than what you can do, don't be afraid because God is on your side. See, we don't have to be afraid or overwhelmed at the size of the mission because we have a great, big, awesome God who works with us as we seek to reach out to those who are far from him. And that's an encouraging thought. That is something that should encourage us to go out and do all that we can to lead people to follow Jesus. Now, Paul gives us three ways to work with God in this passage. Number one, do what I can do. Do what I can do. Paul says in verse 5, it says, Who is Paul, who are Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered. See, Paul and Apollos were there at different times. Paul was the first person to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the city of Corinth. He went to the darkness. He preached with the light of Christ and people were saved. Paul left. Apollos follows. Apollos does the same thing. Apollos preaches Jesus. He helps people to grow in the faith. He reaches out to others. Right? One planted, one watered. Right? Each did. Each were different. Each did what they could do as God gave the increase. And, and what I want us to understand with this is that we're not all supposed to do the same thing. And we're not all supposed to do it in the same way. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe Scripture teaches that every one of us should be able to share the gospel clearly and accurately with others. We should be able to verbally explain to people how to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. What the gospel message is, how we respond, and what it means to know Christ. We should. But, just because we're all supposed to do that, doesn't mean we're all supposed to go out and knock doors. It doesn't mean that we're all actually ready to go out and do that. We're all at different stages of our spiritual growth and our spiritual life. So even if I'm not able at this point to accurately explain the gospel, that doesn't mean I can't do anything. What it means is, I need to do what I can do. So what are some things that you and I can do to help people come to know Jesus Christ, to, to plant and water, as Paul says, if we don't feel comfortable verbally sharing the gospel? Well, I can share my personal testimony. You know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, God has done things in our lives. There are changes that have been made since we have been saved. There are prayers that God has answered. There is peace and comfort that God has given. There is something that God has done in all of our lives. And we should be able to articulate that to people. When someone says, why do I need Jesus? Every one of us should be able to say, 
Here's what Jesus has done for me. This is a very biblical concept. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a story. Jesus going to a land and a man come and running up to him. He was possessed with legions of demons. And the man had been possessed for a long time and there was nothing he could do to get out of the problem he was in. But Jesus cast the demons out of the guy. And then Jesus went to leave the region. And as Jesus went to leave the region, this guy wanted to go with him. And Jesus told him, no. But go and tell your family and friends what great things God has done for you. Now, he didn't tell him, go argue the finer points of the law with the Pharisees. He didn't say, go and have a debate with an unbeliever. He said, do this. Go tell people the good things God has done for you. The Bible says that the man went to all the Decapolis, the ten towns, and that's all he did. And as he did, it says the people were amazed. That's in Mark 5. Two chapters later, Jesus comes to the same region again. And when he comes, there are multitudes that greet him. Now, the first time he came, no one met him. There was no one there. The second time, there were multitudes. Why do you think there were multitudes the second time and not instead of the first time? Because this guy had been going around telling people the good things God had done for him. And they heard Jesus was good and Jesus was great and Jesus could change them and Jesus would make a difference. And so they wanted the Jesus this guy was talking about. Do not underestimate the power of a personal testimony. You may not have all the answers to all the arguments people can have, but we can all say like the blind man in John chapter 9, I don't know everything, but this one thing I do know. I was blind and now I see. It's really hard for people to argue with legitimate life change that Jesus has made in your life. Share your personal testimony. Secondly, offer to pray for them. Again, this is kind of a not that big of a thing. Offer to pray for them. How many people that you encounter on a daily basis have problems in their life? They have stress and they feel overwhelmed and there's things that they wish were different. How many of us could then just say, you know what, I'll pray for you about that. Now, when we offer to pray for them, let's really pray for them. There's a a comic And it shows a a guy and he looks and he says, oh, no, there's Bob. I've been promised to pray for him. Dear Lord, bless Bob. Hey, Bob, I've been praying for you. Let's don't do that. But if we offer to pray for them, pray for them. And what I have found is even people who do not believe. They will not resist a prayer. One of the the U5s, a famous atheist, uh, wrote lots of books against Christianity Hated the God of Christianity. Hated the Jesus of Christianity. He got cancer and was dying. And guys like Rick Warren and Franklin Graham said they were going to pray for him. And somebody asked him about that. And he said, do you want them to not pray for you? And he said, I don't think it does any good, but I welcome all the prayers they'll offer on my behalf. They're not going to resist. And then when God begins to work, they're going to connect the dots back to You're praying for them. Maybe even pray with them right there on the spot. Let me pray with you about this real quick. And then pray. Random acts of kindness. Again, it is hard to just say no 
to someone who's being nice, isn't it? I mean, we're familiar with people coming to our door wanting stuff from us. They want us to buy their cookies. They want us to vote for their candidate. They want to mow our lawn. They, they, they want from us. But if someone comes and just wants to give us something, somebody we know especially, that's pretty neat, isn't it? I mean, that's a, we accept these acts of kindness. So if you know someone who doesn't know Jesus, and, and maybe they're struggling, and you can help them in the area that they're struggling in, or even if they're not struggling, they don't have to be having problems. You can bake them a cake. You can, as you're mowing your lawn, go over and mow theirs. But the number of things we can do to just be nice, it's huge. Evangelist Ray Comfort says the number one key to evangelism is just be nice. Random acts of kindness done in Jesus' name and for His sake. Powerful in influencing people for Jesus. And then finally just invite them to church. John chapter 1. There are people who come to know Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The first thing they do is they go find people that they know and they invite them to come and meet Jesus. They don't share the gospel. They don't argue anything. They just go and say... We've found the Messiah. Come and see. So that is a very biblical thing. Inviting people to church gives them an opportunity to come. But in, and one of the ways that believers are different than unbelievers is you and I, if we've been in church a long time, we assume everybody knows they're welcome. We assume that everybody we know knows that they could come and sit with us and are welcome to be in our church with, with our folks and set by state. We assume that they all know that. But the reality is they don't. You would be amazed at how many people think the church is only for people who've already gotten it together. Think that you have to have a, a certain attitude or already be a certain way before you're welcomed there. How do we let them know that they're welcome? We invite them. We go to them and we say, would you like to come to church with me? And Tom Rayner, again in his study, says that, that the number one reason people give for not going to church, they've never been invited. They just don't know that they're welcome. Now, if you invite lots of people to church, you've had people say, oh, well, thanks for the invite. Yes, I think I'll, I will come to church. Thank you. And then they've not shown up, right? I mean, we have all had people who repeatedly tell us, yes, I'll be there this week, I'll be there this month, and then they never, ever come. And so sometimes I've not been invited is a convenient excuse, and there's nothing we can do about that. All we can do is be sure that they don't have that excuse about the Northridge Free Will Baptist Church. All we can do is ensure that no one can say, well, I would go to that church across from the high school, but nobody's ever invited me. That's all we can do. But oh, the difference can make in someone's life if we take the time and invite them to church, especially since we're coming up on Easter. Invite them for the Easter service. A lot of people are open and willing to come to church on that Sunday more than any other Sunday of the year. And these are, none of these are, are hard. None of these require special training. None of these require us to be have Bible college degrees or be scholars in Scripture. All these things require us to be 
Somebody that knows what Jesus has done for them. Someone who prays. Someone who can be kind. Someone who can invite. That's all any of us have to be. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we can all do these things. We can't all preach. We can't all go door to door. But we can all do something. And what we need to do is do the thing that we can do. And as we do what we can do, we are working with God to reach out to those who are far from Jesus. Second, trust God to give the increase. Paul says, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything, nor he who waters, but, but God who gives the increase. One of the things I love about Paul's writing is Paul understood that he didn't save people. Paul understood that people weren't saved because he was eloquent. Paul understood that people weren't saved because he had a snazzy testimony. Paul understood that people were saved because God worked with him to make a difference in people's lives. Paul understood that it was God who gave the increase. And again, this is something that should be hugely encouraging. Because the reality is, we can't save a soul. We can't change a life. We cannot make a lasting, eternal difference in somebody's life, but God can. And as we plant... And as we water, God does what you and I cannot do. And the reason this is so encouraging is we're often afraid to try because we're afraid of failure. How many of us have invited people to church and they didn't come? Raise your hand. How many of us have shared the gospel with somebody and invited them to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus and they said no thanks? How many of us have had people come to church that we invited and they came and they heard a clear gospel message and yet they still didn't turn to Jesus and be saved? We've all had these experiences, right? And so what we can do is we can say, I guess I'm not good enough. My best isn't enough. There's nothing I can do. I just as well not try. But what Paul teaches us is we don't fail unless we fail to try. Every single time we try, that's a win. Every single time we share our testimony, we pray for someone, we invite them to church, we do an act of kindness. Every time we do these things, that is a win. Because our job was never to save them. Our job, all along, was to plant a seed, to water a seed. That's it. I love how Jesus explains this. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed does not sprout and grow himself. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain of the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts forth the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, I'm not a farmer or a planter, and I have no intention of being any of those things. But one thing I do know about this is, those who farm and those who have gardens, they don't actually make anything grow. Uh, those who have tomatoes, they don't make the tomato seeds bear fruit. They plant the tomato and they water the tomato and they check the soil. But in the end, God and the natural process that he has put in motion 
makes it all happen. And that's the point Jesus is making here, but with a spiritual truth. The gospel is kind of like that. You and I, we don't make the gospel grow. We don't make it bear fruit. All we do is we we plant it and we water it. And we do what we can to weed it. If they have questions or they begin to go off into wrong areas, we try to correct it as much as we can. But in the end, in the end, it's God who makes it grow. So all we do, you plant the seed, you water the seed, and then you wait. Because at that point, everything is up to God who works, the person who responds, and the gospel that has its very own power. Colossians 1 and 6 talks about the gospel bearing fruit everywhere it goes. The gospel is just, just a powerful, powerful story. God's word is living and active. And, and we don't know. We don't know what will happen. I grew up in church. I, I mean, I don't remember a time where our family did not go to church. And we went to basically three churches all of my life. And from the time I was five on, my friends, I had friends that would go forward and be saved. Of course, we were Baptists, so we always went to the altar to get saved. And I never did. There were times where I would raise my hand. I knew I needed Jesus, but I wasn't willing to come to the altar and be saved. And we had, man, I couldn't tell you how many pastors we had up until the time I was 19 years old. Many. And most of those guys, they never saw me get saved. Even the guy that was our pastor at the time when I got saved wasn't the guy preaching when I got saved. They never got to see it. They preached, they planted, they watered. My granny Doolin planted and she watered. My mom and dad planted and they watered. And it just took time for the gospel to bear fruit on its own. Just because we don't see immediate fruit doesn't mean there won't be lasting fruit later on. Never, never underestimate how important it is to plant, to water seeds. And that's really, again, that's how encouraging to know that's all that we have to do. You don't have to save anyone. You don't have to change anyone. All of that is God's job. All we do is we do our best to give them an accurate picture. We do our best to plant the seeds and water the seeds and make it so that the seeds can grow. That everything's as right as we can possibly make it. And then we have to leave it to God, to the Holy Spirit, to the gospel, to the person. And every time we plant a seed, we're working with God. Every time we water a seed, we are working with God. From there, we just have to trust that God will make a difference. God will make our efforts fruitful. And then the final, the way we work with God is to recognize the significance of the work. In verse 8, Paul says, now, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're on team Jesus. And notice this, though. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Paul understood the significance of the work he was doing. Everything he did in planting and everything Apollos did in watering, it was eternally important. 
And the eternal significance of what we do in working with God to reach out to those who are far from God is described in two ways. First, there are eternal rewards. And that he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive a reward according to his own labor. Now, what I like is a couple of things. First, I like that we're all on the same team. We're not in competition with one another. We're not in competition with the Nazarenes or the First Baptist or, or anyone else. We're all on Team Jesus going for the same thing. Right? At the same time, though, each will receive a reward. Right? So there are, there are eternal rewards for what we do in trying to reach out to people that are far from God. And these rewards, though, and this is important, are not based upon our success, but upon the work itself. We are not rewarded by how many people we led to Jesus. We are, we are rewarded based on how faithful we were to try to reach people for Jesus. Let me give you an example. Billy Graham is probably the most well-known evangelist in the world. Billy Graham has, through his evangelistic crusades, there have probably been hundreds of thousands of people that have brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Billy Graham, when he goes to glory, he will receive a reward for that. But Billy Graham is not the only person who will be rewarded for his labor. Because Billy Graham didn't do it alone. Do you know that at every crusade, there were singers and musicians. There were people who set up and tore down. There were people who invited and invested in others. There were people who worked at the altars to pray with people. There are people who prayed weeks leading up to the crusade and people who prayed weeks after the crusade. And every one of those people will receive a reward for their labor just as surely as Billy Graham will. But at the same time, even though there were thousands that came to know Jesus Christ through the Billy Graham Crusades, there are thousands who came to those crusades and left unchanged. There are thousands who did not care, who just didn't bother them one bit. But guess what? Those who invited them, even though they didn't get saved, they still receive a reward. Billy Graham, even though they didn't get saved, will still receive a reward. Those who sang and those who played will still receive a reward. Because the reward is not based upon the success as we define it. The reward is based upon the effort itself. Every time... You plant and water a seed. Every time you try to help someone come to know Jesus Christ, you are laying up treasures in heaven. You'll be rewarded for the work itself, not necessarily for the results of that work. And that's, that's an encouraging thing. And the second way it's described is in eternal souls. Paul says in verse 9 that, that he and... Apollos, they are God's fellow workers, but them, they are God's field, they are God's building. Right? God was building a church through the people, the Corinthians. And as Paul shared the gospel, God saved people and brought them in. As Apollo shared the gospel, God saved people and brought them in. When we share the gospel, God saves people. I mean, that's just it. it, it that's really what it boils down to. God saves people as we share the gospel. He doesn't save people because we intended to share the gospel. 
He doesn't save people because we wanted to share the gospel. He saves people as we share the gospel. And as God saves people, those are souls, precious souls, that will spend eternity with Him. And we have to understand this because everybody lives forever. Jesus said, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and will come forth. All. Those who have done good for the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Right? Everybody lives forever somewhere. They're either going to resurrect into condemnation or resurrect into life. And what makes the difference? Is it morals or baptism or church attendance? It is faith in Jesus. That makes the difference. And so every time we are reaching out, we are trying to snatch them from the flames of judgment. I love the way Jude phrases that. Rescue others, snatching them from the flames of judgment. Every unbeliever we know dangles perilously perilously over the fires of hell. And at some point, they will fall into judgment. And as we reach out to them, we are doing our dead level best to snatch them from the flames of judgment. We are trying to ensure that they can rise to the resurrection of life and not the resurrection of condemnation. And we've got to know this. Because the world wants us to be ashamed of sharing the gospel. The world wants us to be ashamed of telling people they need Jesus. The world wants us to be ashamed of saying that we need to bring people in so they can hear the gospel and be saved. But we cannot let the world make us ashamed. We are not oppressing anyone. We are not trying to force our dogma upon them. We are not trying to impose our will upon them. We are doing everything we can to snatch them from the flames of judgment. If we keep that imagery in our mind, it will keep us motivated. Sharing the gospel. And every time we share the gospel, every time we invite the church, every time we try, we are working with God. And and I would love to say that eventually God saves everyone that we share the gospel with. Sad fact is people die and go to hell every day. And so I, I can't promise you that God is going to save everyone because not everyone's going to respond. God does what He can to work in their lives, but He leaves the decision up to each and every one of us. We choose to turn to Jesus or we choose to reject Jesus. But I will say this. While God may not save everyone we share the gospel with, God will save some of the people we share the gospel with. If there are people in your life you want to come to know Jesus Christ, they won't come to know because you hope it. And they won't come to know because you wish it. They will come to know because you do what you can to help them come to know Jesus Christ. And every time we plant, every time we water, that just gives God another opportunity to work in their lives. Another chance to convict them of their sin, their their lack of righteousness and the judgment to come. Another opportunity to show them their desperate need for Jesus. God works with us every day single time we plant, every single time we water, and there is an eternal significance in what we do in doing that. What I want to do is close by challenging you to do just a few things in the coming weeks leading up to Easter. First, I want you to pick somebody. 
we all have people within our sphere of influence. We often talk about our friends, our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. I, I know it's important for us to reach out to people we don't know, but we have more of an opportunity to reach out to people we already have a relationship with. So I want you to, to pick a few people on your friends list, a friend, a relative, an associate, or a neighbor, and then begin to pray daily for God to save them. Because again, it's not you or I that saves them, it's, it's God that does it. So pray daily for God to save them. Then look for opportunities to tell them about Jesus. You will be amazed at how many times during the day opportunities to have spiritual conversations come up if only we're looking for them. Every day we have conversations about everything from politics to the depravity of man in the news to economy to war to the future. Any of those can lead to a spiritual conversation if we're open and we're looking for it. And a spiritual conversation can naturally become a Jesus conversation. Look for opportunities to tell them about Jesus. Invite them to church. Specifically, invite them for Easter Sunday. Two weeks out gives us a lot of time to invite. This isn't call them on Saturday night and say, hey, do you want to come to church with me tomorrow? Begin now. Hey, what are you doing Easter Sunday? Would you like to come to church with me? Invite them to church. Our church, our church is a good church. When they come, they're going to hear a message about Jesus. They're going to hear what it takes to be saved. They're going to be given an opportunity to turn to Jesus and be saved. That is, a, that is a, I promise you that. So invite them to church. And then follow up with them. If they come to church, follow up. Ask them if there was anything they, they didn't understand. Ask them what they thought about the message. Ask them, did they see their need for Jesus? I mean, follow up and, and have a spiritual conversation about what happened here. And then trust the power of the gospel. Trust that God is mighty to save. Trust that what we do is eternally significant and that God will work with you through the service to save your lost friend. There are so many people in our community who need Jesus. There are so many people around us who are living in darkness and desperately, desperately need to know about a Savior who loves them and died on the cross for their sin. He will snatch them from the flames of judgment. But He does it as we work with Him to reach them. Let's each one choose to do that. And before we close, I just want to... I mean, there's not a whole lot of us in here today. But what if every one of us invited one person that came to church on Easter Sunday? And what if the one person we invited got saved? What... And, and then they kept inviting people. I mean, you see how the difference that makes over time. It makes a huge impact on our culture. It makes a huge impact on our community. It'll make an impact in our lives to see God save someone in our midst. Pray, invite, and pray some more. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.